Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. Let's pick up where we left off. We're in the book of Genesis. Let's see, chapter 14. And let's begin with verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariat, king of Elisar, Shador Leomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. So, as always, excuse me if, if the pronunciation of these are not how they actually were pronounced, how many ever thousands of years ago this was. Um, forgive me. So, on to verse two. So, basically, what we have here is a gathering of kings or rulers of an area. Um, it'd be like a summit of nations in modern terms that they made with war with Kibera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. So um, it's uh, another group of kings gathering together to make war against the first group of kings mentioned uh, in verse 1. And he's joined together in the Valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. So it's in parenthesis that lets us know they're talking about the same area, even though it's going by a different name, the same way I have two different names I'm known by, the same way billions and billions of other people have different names they're known by. So you may be known by uh, Jethro, uh, but also be known as Chip. You may be known as Bobby, but also be known as Marcus. You may have a nickname like Putty, Pussycat or anything like that and be known by these different names would be the same thing. That's all that means. Um, and what else, what else it's pointing to is that this would be, since the part that's in parentheses is pointing to a part that in modern times is actually underwater, it's, it seems to me to be saying to us that this area is uh, underwater now, a result of what we'd call climate change. Although in the Bible, it's going to give a description of how the climate change happens. Twelve years they served Shador Leomer in the 19th year they rebelled. So um, that's the issue with the two uh, warring king groups of kings, um, a rebellion. In the 14th year, Shador Leomer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in the Ashtaroth and the in the astronaut, let me start that again. The 14th year of Shador Leomer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, and the Emim in Shave Kirjathaim. So, um, a couple of things with this one. It's telling us what the issues were between the different groups over time. And it's letting us know when it says, and just in case you don't know, the refame, that's their way of saying what we, the same thing as we say by modern terms as giants. It's people who were just like I've said before, according to the Bible, a hybridization of the creation of species of man, as we say in modern times. The one that's in chapter one of Genesis and the creation uh, in the following chapters of Genesis, because there are different species created throughout those different chapters, at least five or uh, seven, I think five to seven, uh, we went through when we went through those readings. Um, so Adam and Eve, those are two different species, believe it or not, two different uh types, creations of humanity. And their descriptions are right there in the Bible. And yet churches preach against that exact same thing and say that there's nothing in the Bible. The science science says there's nothing in the Bible that supports science. And yet there's a whole lot of similarities. 
Uh, and the Horites, and so that's what the Rephaim are. Um, and it's giving us a list of what's happened. It seems that the giants have had, because the same thing about the Zuzem, those are ancient words for giants also. Um, the Emem and the Ashtaroth, I'm not sure about it. As far as Ashtaroth, that actually is an ancient, what we call cult, or just different religion, if you don't want to think of it that way. Um that worshiped uh, different gods, basically. Um, at least that's another meaning of the Asherah, Ashtaroth. I think those are interchangeable as that one. Um, but you can research and find out yourself. But that's basically what's happening. There's a revolt going on and rebellion, sort of like January 6th. Let's see how they handle it. And the Horites uh, in their mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. So the Horites also are known as giants also. And it's crazy as that may sound. Modern times, it's uh, in the, according to the Bible, giants are a real thing, and that also lets us know that um, the flood obviously didn't destroy all of them since they're still around now, even though preachers will tell you. And even it says in the narrative that that was the purpose that God was regretting creating uh, humans in the first place. Um, so, had the flood to take away everyone that was left that wasn't on the ark. And that included giants. And it was because there was all sorts of wickedness, although it doesn't really ever get into what the wickedness was. Um, but it was enough that, you know, according to the narrative, it caused God, God regrets. Um, let's see. Then they turned back and came to En Mishfat, that is Kadesh, in, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who dwell in Hezazan Tamar. So it seems that they're on the offensive, the um, the um, one group against the other, and the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sedim. So um, they're uh, in hot theater of war, I guess is how I say it, against Shador Leomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariat, king of Elisars, four kings against five. So one is, has at least a little more advantage in that sense. Now the valleys of Sedem was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. So it seems the, one, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah were on the run. Um, then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. So they defeated the kings and sought the city, took all, you know, uh, looted it. They also took Lot, Abra Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So um, they didn't just take the goods and... Um, the booty, like they, as they'd say, the gold and silver and stuff. They took people also, because, because and remember, like it or not, people used to be sold and bought and still are in some parts of the world, slaves. So um, they also took some people hostage also who weren't necessarily slaves, but still took them hostage as property. Not even hostages, took them and took ownership of them, whether they were slaves or not, they took them. Um, let me see, and they went their way. Sort of like how you see looting in modern times. 
They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshol and brother of Aner. And they were allies with Abram. So news is spread quickly that the city's been defeated where Abram's relative is dwelling, where Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah in that area. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken, and it says was taken, he alarmed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So he's saying his brother, but it's not actually his literal brother. He's calling him his brother, but it's his nephew. Um, and he's um, gone to go rescue his brother who's been um, captured in the dispute in the war. He divided his forces against them by night. He and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hoba, which is north of Damascus. So Damascus is the same Damascus in Syria that exists now. Uh, so it gives you an idea of the area that it's happening in. But it, um, it also lets you know, Abram must have been very, very rich to be able to have servants enough to gather them and go to war. It'd be like the military industrial complex of modern times that um, goes on modern day crusades in, with the manner of Christianity, even though it's completely antithetical to everything Jesus teaches, but it's the banner they go under in this country, whereas other countries will use other religions to do the exact same thing. Um, so that's what's happened there. Um, he's gathered up his wealth of his um, of his means to be able to go and rescue his relative, which must be nice. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. So he ends up being the hero here to go rescue his brother Lot and the same brother again, but it's actually his nephew. And this is amazingly bold and daring rescue this narrative for the same person who when just a few chapters ago, maybe not even one or two, um, went to an area and was so afraid of the people there that he had his wife pretend to be his sister so that they wouldn't bug him. And it let his wife, who's pretending to be his sister, be abducted, taken into custody by the governmental authorities at the time, um, and had her pretend to be his sister so that um, to keep him safe, while God only knows what happened to her. None of that is condemned. Um, it doesn't even go into the stories of what happened to her, who they thought was a, so attractive at the time that they just take her into custody. It says that's the reason they did it and for him to have asked her to do it, which by modern terms would be called simping. I think that might even be just two chapters ago if you want to read, catch the past reading and see it. It's right there in the Bible. It's not even condemned by modern times. Instead, he's still considered a hero, but here he is being heroic to go rescue someone else. Who's he going to go rescue? A man, one of his male relatives. So again, uh, examples of patriarchy in the Bible that lets you know who really matters, What whose lives really matter. 
Um, but he did, was heroic in rescuing all his, the goods and stuff and saving his people, so good for him. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shave, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Shador Leomer and the kings who were with him. So the king of Sodom and Gomorrah were glad that he, they that Abraham, his name isn't Abraham yet, it's still Abram, um, he's there they're glad that he came to rescue them and so they sort of benefited in the blessing of having abraham flex and bring his power to the game and rescue his family and also save the king and king of the kings of those areas whether they were uh you know whether people nowadays may think they were worthy of it or not. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. So we have to examine this now. Um, because some preachers will try to use this as to say um, to Christian preachers now, will try to say that the same person, Melchizedek, is actually Jesus Christ appearing in the Old Testament. And they'll use it they'll use it to um by they'll use that argument to um by using the translation of the name of melchizedek which basically translates to um king of peace i think because melka is like king and zedek is of peace um zadok of of peace um some sort of way they'll use it that way to justify that and say that this is actually Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus never identified himself in any of the Gospels or anywhere in the Bible as Melchizedek. So what, why would he do that? And why would they say that if if not just to wrap you up in some sort of mystical mystery to keep uh, listening? Because it doesn't say any of that. But it does say what he is. He's the king of an area called Salem. And it says what he did was brought out something for um, um, uh, for them to enjoy. And it's not just bread, but it's also wine. So that also for religious people who, at the, who thump the Bible and say, you have to do this, you have to do that, and can't do this and can't do that. Well, it shows right here that someone is the priest of God most high is bringing out wet bread and also bringing out wine. So how can drinking alcohol be wicked uh, by itself, if the one who's being called the priest of God most high um, is actually the one serving it up for a biblical so-called patriarch, even though his actions don't seem necessarily all that um, dignified all the time, just like many of us. He's human. One other thing about this God most high, if you um, look at the, if you use the resource or have another look at what that translation comes from it comes from the word or its root its actual translation of the part about god most high you can use the blueletterbible.org website and um type in the search phrase box there god most high and it'll bring you to the chapter and verse that i'm referring to uh, or even this one in any other part of the bible it won't show you in red in red letters i think it can i just still haven't figured out how to make it do that but uh whatever the case may be if you if you can see what the translation of god most high is you get introduced to a new God, because the God that's been mentioned mentioned by, if you translate the words God and Lord so far in the Bible, that it, and we're only in the first book of the Bible, you'll see that the translations of those are different things. We've been, we've seen it translated to L, 
E-L as being the name of uh, translated to God or even in Lord. And we've seen Jehovah, it's with a Y, but it's pronounced with a J just because that's how the language is. Um, so whether it's Yehovah or Jehovah, that's what it's translated to. We've, um, so we've seen both of those. Um, we've seen uh, Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, which is the plural of E-L-O-H-E, which is E-L-O-H-E, if I remember right. So you've seen these different translations all saying God or Lord in English. But when you look to the New Testament, you see Jesus doesn't refer to God as any of those things. Well, I mean, not all of those things. He consistently calls God in the English translation, either God, Lord, or Father. And then if you look at what is translated to from its root um, um, language, that it made it into the Bible or made it to this resource that you're using here on blueletterbible.org, the website, you'll see what the actual translations are, and it's never any of these other El or Yah or Yahweh or Jehovah. It's none of those. It's never any of those. And yet all of those are mentioned as God or Lord in the Old Testament. So that's one more reason I'd say just as a side note, probably a long one, sorry about that, um, where if you're going to say you're Christian, focus on what it is Jesus has to say. If you don't, you may actually be worshiping one of these other various gods in the Bible, you're free to do that, but don't try to think that you, if you do that, also realize you're doing that. You're not worshiping and doing what Jesus would have you understand or know, which is again, your free, free will choice to do that. But you really should not call it Christianity because then you're sort of lying on the Lord because it's not what he said. It's not what he's referring to. It's not even his intent, in my opinion. Um, it'd be dangerous, I think, for your soul, even, in my opinion. Uh, then Melchizedek, so this, that's what he did. He brought out food to serve, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. So um, the Abram, I guess, um, Melchizedek is the one saying it since he's the priest, and he's giving a priestly blessing to Abram, I guess, because he rescued those areas from um, the war. And blessed be God most high who ha has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So it's not clear here who gave who the tithe. It seems to me Abram would be the one giving the tithe since the priest is the one who usually takes the tithe. And yet it seems more like uh, uh, Melchizedek gave him the tithe, but that wouldn't make sense. But it doesn't make sense, but it seems like it's not clear. It could be one, it could be the other. So by modern thinking, it'd be Abram giving the tithe to the priest. Um, so maybe in this, I think well, what makes sense is maybe this is the priest that Abram used to uh, help him in the war. Because just like in sort of Game of Thrones and all sorts of um literature of different dark ages, middle ages, ancient times, the political arm of the world, the governmental arms, will use the religious, spiritual, magical, mystical arm of the world and creation, even like um, as their wizard or their um, conciliary, their wise counsel that they'd go to to help make decisions and things, someone who could see that side of things, um, just like now, how the church 
and I use church, I say church just because it's America, but it could be whatever religion is exists. It uses the governmental arm of create of society to turn people's heads on as to how they should feel about how they should look at different things. And people unfortunately seem to like blinders being put on and being led that way. I think we're conditioned to be that way, but then challenged not to be that way. I don't know. Um, so anyway, he's giving a blessing. And he's got you know, and a tithe is exchanged where whoever gave it to who. And this is the first, like if I could think of that, I think of it. Um, it is not the first. I remember an offering. Cain and Abel brought an offering. I don't remember whether it was a tithe or not. But you see here another a mentioning of the tithe. So a tithe is a tenth. That would be the translation of that. And it'd be the same thing as when uh, religious organizations get tithes now, where they get a tenth of your, they get, they can, the definition they use as a tenth of your increase. So basically, whether it's a paycheck or a lotto ticket, you take a tenth of whatever it is you've gained and you use it to um, with religious intent, whether it's giving it to a church, giving it to charity, giving it is the point giving it to some place where it's needed, not just necessarily um, some place where you want to. If that I make charity, that's basically what it means, being charitable. That's what it equates to uh, tithing. And, but the tithe itself is a tenth so that you recognize whatever increase you have, truly you're giving, you use a tenth of it to sort of give back to God. That's the intent of it to you say take some portion some small portion of it a tenth of it and say i'm gonna part with this part of it because rightly i wouldn't have had any of it if it weren't for god almighty so that's basically the intent of a tithe now the king of sodom said to abram give me the persons and take the goods for yourself so um now since he had been rescued, the king of Sodom is telling Abram that um, don't worry about the, the booty, the loot, um, the Gucci bag, the Louis Vuitton. Don't worry about that uh, at all, but I'll take the people. So he wants the property back. Now, whether that's because he wants them to have their freedom from uh, slavery and being traded like baseball cards, or whether it's because he cares about them and doesn't want them being trapped. It's not clear, but he's letting him know that don't worry about the stuff. You can have the stuff. Give me the people back. That's what he values. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. So now you have to see here, Abram himself is calling the same one that Melchizedek is a priest of, the Lord God Most High. Let's see who he's identifying as his Lord God Most High. You can do that again on the, that website with it, with the translation, and you'll see it's changed. It says the Lord, and it tra tra it's changed now to the Lord as Jehovah or Jehovah. Just so you understand how there's a pronunciation. It's spelled Y A in English, Y H H, excuse me, Y A, capital Y E H O V A. <clears throat> excuse me, but listen to how it's pronounced, at least according to scholars, because God only knows how it actually was pronounced way back then. Listen to how now it's, listen to how it was pronounced by people, how scholars believe it was pronounced. 
Um, in actuality, I'll just let you play it, and I'm gonna have me a drink of water. Strong's H three thousand sixty eight. Yehovah. Yehovah. See, it's Yehovah. But you know, there's a religion called Jehovah's Witness. It's spelled the exact same way, only with a J, since it's English, instead of a Y. And um, it's the same Lord Most High who he's talking about here. But before he says that, he just said, uh, well, well, the Lord, that's how tra it's translated to Jehovah. But it says the Most High God. And look who that's identified as. The Most High translates to Elion. Well, let's see how it's pronounced. Strong's H, 5945. Elyon. Elyon. That's the part that trans translates from the Most High. But look what God turns out to be. Not Yehovah, uh, not Christ, but look what it is. Strong's H, 410. Ale. Ale. He's saying it's pronounced Ale. Because there's like an apostrophe in front of it and then a mark over it also. He's saying it's pronounced ale. He, so that's how he's pronouncing. That's how he pronounced, at least how they believe he would pronounce the word God. And so, and it, see, it's capitalized. It's not talking about just any general deity, if you want to think of it that way. But he specifically says in English, the Lord God most high. And that in the translation is the Lord, Jehovah, or Yehovah the most high God. So it means there's no other above it. And then it's translated as Elion, El. So is that who people go around and say is the Lord God most high in modern times? Either of those? No, I don't think so. Not at all. Even people who call themselves Christian. And I think that's because this is not going to be the same God it's pointing to um, in the rest of the Bible, it's one of the gods, at least one, if not at least two there, God most high, um, at least by translation. That I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. So for whatever reason, he's being sassy with um, the king of Sodom when he's just being generous with and saying, grace, glad, and relieved that he was rescued from the war. Instead, Abram seems to be giving a sassy response saying, nah, you can keep all the stuff that you're trying to give me as a thank you. Um, I, I swore to God, I wouldn't take anything from you. It's, I don't know why he'd be uh, acting all, have all that smoke for him like that. It doesn't really make any sense that he'd be like that, except for the sense that maybe he feels like his uh, nephew, Lot, got caught up as a result of um, the things that were going on in Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring uh, lands there. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't even have to get involved in it all. But I don't know. It doesn't really make it clear why he's being that way, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So he's saying, well, he didn't do it alone, but the people who went along with him to help uh, free and rescue his nephew Lot and the other kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the neighboring lands or areas there, 
um, let them have what it is that it is they're entitled to. He doesn't want to block their blessing. Go ahead and get them what they deserve as far as the loot, the booty, and the people. Um, he's saying, but as for him, he doesn't want any extra for it. He did. He, I guess, he's trying to say either that, like I said, he didn't agree with the way they are, or he um, um, really did it with honest intent of just wanting to rescue his nephew. And that really doesn't seem in consist that doesn't seem consistent with the same person who let his his wife pass for his sister so that he could avoid even being harassed about her because she was so hot and fetching even though she's like 60 something years old at this point in the bible so at this point in the bible that ends this reading i appreciate you checking it out with me and hope it was a blessing for you and i hope you'll join me again we're going to end this one here for indexing purposes and we're going to pick up god willing in just a moment with genesis chapter 14. if you're interested in any past reading you can check out my website hung t if you're an adult you can check out my website it's hungtgirl.com and get to know all you like about me i'm uh, body mind spirit and soul with the links on the left it's free and you can if you want you can help me out get a membership make a donation or just enjoy all the free stuff that you like God bless you for it. You can also um, see what we do here on the Naked Truth with the Spirit and Soul pages there, because in a nutshell, it boils down to me, Christianity. And to me, that boils down to seeing what it is Jesus actually had to say, differentiating that from what it is that religion has to say, what other people may have to say, what my own heart may incline me to think is what's right or wrong. See what Jesus actually has to say about it and compare it. And if you're Christian, according to Christ, it's his words that set us free, live by that. And it turns out his burden really is light. It's lighter than any religion will put on you. But it, a lot of people have a hard time realizing what the truth actually is. So that's what we do. You can join me on Mondays and Wednesdays at random times where we focus on the Old Testament. Or you can join me on the Saturday night reading at just after midnight, 12, 15 a.m. on Sunday morning, where we focus on the Gospels. And that means what Jesus had to, stay, had to say. Stay safe. God bless you and thank you. Peace to you.